And welcome back to Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules, my friends. Uh, I'm your host, Douglas Arthur, and here with me today, uh, we've got a special uh, group of uh, former uh, hosts. Well, they're not former. They're still hosts, but I'm going to start over because that's really lame. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm a former host. I've died already. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast to bring you some incredible news. We are under attack. Never before has this reporter seen such devastation, such destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, I fear the time has come for Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules! So grab a can of fermented weed and listen up. It may just save your life. Hey folks, thanks for joining us here on Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules. I'm your host, Douglas Arthur. Um, this week we've got a special memorial tribute to David Bowie, uh, who passed away quite tragically from cancer uh, last week. Um, we found out last Monday uh, that uh, that this had happened, and uh, I convened the the gang on Saturday night to record this uh, special tribute. We did go on and on quite a bit. Uh, we spoke for well over two hours. Um, and uh, so I'm going to split this into two parts um, for a little easier digestion. Um, and uh, the, the general feeling was that even despite speaking for over two hours, we didn't even come close to scratching the surface of uh, David Bowie's career, his his life, his work, his art, um, his fashion, everything that uh, he he uh, was involved in. Um, anyway, like I said, uh, we spoke for a while. Uh, I'm going to cut this intro short. We'll just get right into it and make our introductions there. Uh, enjoy the show, and uh, you know, come back for part two, um, which should be arriving uh, shortly. See you on the other side. back to Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules, my friends. This is your host, Douglas Arthur, and with me today on this uh, rather somber occasion is uh, Michael Noble. Uh, you know him, you love him. Uh, he's been here before, and he'll be here again, I'm sure, uh, from uh, the newly formed Hotchka.com uh, pop culture website. Um, he's also the author of uh, the foreword to one of my, my brand new books. Uh, thanks again, Michael. Say hello. Douglas, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for joining us tonight. And also with us is uh, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons from out there in the cold wastelands of uh, Minnesota. Uh, sorry about your Vikings there last week there, Jim. Uh, yeah. 
Thanks. <laughs> hey, make a more the... somber occasion even more somber. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> well, we could be serving up some loot fisk, uh, but uh, we're not going to do that. I'm not that Minnesotan. <laughs> well, actually, I, th- I think the Predators are playing the Wild tonight. Well, well there. Uh, the Wild aren't doing so much better either. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> But hello, Douglas. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're, you're most welcome, Jim. And, and uh, rounding out the cast, we've got uh, our, our pal uh, Brian Curtis from down there in Nashville, Tennessee. How are you doing, Brian? Wonderful. Uh, nice to meet everybody. Nice to hear from you again, Doug. Nice to be on here. Yeah, excellent. That occasion, but still nice to be on. Yeah. The the reason we're we're here today, uh, of course, uh, the, the sad news earlier this week. Um, that greeted us all on uh, on Monday morning as we awoke um, was that David Bowie had passed away, and it came uh, as a bit of a shock because I don't think any of us really knew he was that sick. Um, and also, he had just put out uh, his new album, Black Star, on on Friday. Um, his birthday, so right? on his birthday, January eighth, um, which is something that he had done two years ago. Um, he put out his previous album uh, the next day, also on his birthday, um, in 2013. Um, so, uh, you know, it was it was kind of an interesting um, an interesting weekend. I, I was kind of elated that there was a new album, and then all of a sudden Monday it was like, what what just happened? <laughs> right. I don't uh, think anybody other than family and people very close to him knew he was sick. So when his birthday comes out, you know, so Bowie's in the news because of his birthday. He's got a new album. He's in the news. Monday morning, I have the morning news on. I just see him on the TV for the first few seconds. I'm thinking, well, he's, yeah, he's in the news. Just put all that on that stop. And I said, oh, wait a minute, what? And it was just, just stunned. He just had no idea this was coming. Yeah, there was no warning at all. It just, he's, he's dead. That was that was quite a a, a stunning moment uh, for a wonderful wake up for Monday morning. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I I totally agree. Um, yeah, I I'm found kinda, I'm kind of curious how everybody found out about it and when they found out about it. To be honest with you, I, well, let let's talk about that. How did you find out, Michael? Um, actually, I was asleep. Um, my girlfriend came in and uh, tapped me on the shoulder. She gets up very early in the morning, and I was still asleep, and she goes, uh, good morning. She goes, by the way, David Bowie passed away. And I was instantly awake and instantly up. I just, I could not believe it. I grabbed my phone, accessed the news, and was reading everything that I possibly could on it. Very rude awakening. Yeah, I I agree, and that's uh, stunningly similar to my experience. Um, same, Same kind of deal. My wife gets up. Um, much earlier than I do uh, in the morning, and uh, she came in and kind of roused me and said, "Hey, I just—they just had it on the news that uh, David Bowie has passed away, and um, I wanted you to know before you read about it on social media." Um, so, <laughs> so uh, you know, on on the one hand. It, you know that was nice on the other hand it was like uh, i could have used another you know half an hour <laughs> of sleep because you know like you after that it was like there was no go there was no going back to to bed after that yeah you know so um i just found it on facebook because i got up for work and 
you know, you know, get ready for work, check all that stuff. And it was just like, for a while there, it was like these little vague things. It's really weird. It was like this, like kind of like it, it, it builds to it. People reference it, reference it, and then you actually, you know, the, the actual news article, you know, that that you hear about him passing. Because, you know, I was in shock because, you know, I thought it was an accident or something. I didn't even know he was sick. You know, I thought it was like a traffic accident or something or like a plane crash or something. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think that's true. It's like, uh, you know, when I started looking at it, it was like I, I started seeing people posting, you know, like David Bowie videos and, and stuff. Uh, it, it really wasn't until a little bit later you started seeing the news articles being being uh, passed around, um, you know. And I'm guilty of that, too. I think I just started posting videos because what else? There wasn't a lot else to, to post at that hour of the morning, Um you know, I think my wife woke me up about 5.30 here on the East Coast, um, you know, to let me know. So, um, you know, it was, uh, it, was a, it was an early day. <laughs> but, uh, um, but, uh, but very sad. And I, I think, you know, just going back, you know, he really meant a lot to me. Um, and I, he meant a lot to a lot of people. And... Um, what was interesting to me was that how much he changed, uh, not only himself, but he really had a huge impact on popular culture, even though, you know, by some standards, he wasn't the most, you know, uh, successful. I mean, he never had a number one album until <laughs> until this week uh, when he passed away. Um, oh, wow. they never do that. No, he never had a number one album. Um, not in, not in the states. Uh, I'm mean, mistake. Yeah, right. in the in the UK he said. Yeah, I think few. I think in the UK maybe, uh, but not that not as many as you would think. Um, you know, so it's interesting. You know that that that's the case. I mean, he he did chart well, uh, but mm -hmm. he never had that number one that number one album. Uh, so um, you know, it, it, it's just interesting that somebody. Had, you know, like him was able to have that much of an effect um, on on popular culture, and he affected it in a lot of different ways. And I think you know we'll we'll, we'll get into that as we <laughs> as we keep going forward. But um, I just wanted to get some thoughts from each of you of you know kind of like um, you know what he meant uh, to you personally, and 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 what you feel like uh, you know his biggest. Uh, impact was um, so Brian why, why don't we start with you what do you how, how do how, how does Mr. Bowie's career fit into your you know growing up oh wow well it, it's mostly like reinvention because my first exposure to him ever wasn't music it was of course you can you can tell when I was little it was Labyrinth <laughs> yes yeah and, and you know it was in that, you know, if, if it was if it was made by Lucasfilm, I had to watch it. I love it, <laughs> and you know, and Muppets and and Star Wars basically. And then I found out about David Bowie, and I was like, well, that's just cool. And then it's like my only other exposure at the time was it was either I think Modern Love or the Dancing in the Streets with with Mick Jagger. <laughs> yeah. oh. it, was a, it was on a program called Friday Night Videos. Oh yeah, yeah. You guys remember that? Yep. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, that's that, one thing that, I. That's one thing. Yeah, it's the one thing we need to forgive him for. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
catchy. Though. I mean, it took no. it took about you know the song lasts maybe four minutes, and it took about that long to make the video. It, it really. Was, <laughs> it's just it's like there, it's done. <laughs> it's, I, yeah, wasn't that is it? Wasn't that somewhat tied to Live Aid? Yeah, somehow. I think they debuted it um, on Live Aid or during Live Aid, um, and. If I recall, I think some of the proceeds from it were supposed to go to charity, but I don't remember much about else. It was just kind of a one-off, um, you know, uh, song collaboration that they did. Mm-hmm. See, but before all that, though, I had a cousin that his mom had records, and it was the two that I remembered was one of them was Alice Cooper, and the other one was was uh, Ziggy Stardust. Hmm. So it was like, all, you know, that was a little bit before, and then, you know, and then I put it all together. I was like, what happened, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, Z- Ziggy Stardust and, and uh, the Goblin King uh, are, uh-huh. are, are very far apart um, in, in, in many ways. I think, um, you know, that, that's one of the, the interesting things is, you know, he kind of started off as a, as a folk singer, mm-hmm. um, and 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 space oddity is essentially a folk song that's maybe a little amped up, um, but it's mostly acoustic and and um, you know kind of tells a story and so on. Um, and then you know within a few years he's doing the, you know this hard harder edged rock and um, and everything. Uh, you know with Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane he was doing a lot of that. And then he jumps into soul music and funk uh, with Young Americans, um, and then he's and then he's doing, uh, um, you know, electronic music uh, on low and and heroes, um, and just experimenting with all different kinds of rhythms, uh, and um, and eventually, you know, he winds up doing this really pop music on Let's Dance, um, and. And uh, you know, tonight and never let me down uh, in the '80s, uh, before kind of uh, casting himself back into doing more experimental things um, like with Outside and Earthling, uh, and and his most recent album Black Star. Um, so definitely just full of change all along the way, um, which which I which I really appreciate, you know. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, somebody save me here. I'm. I'm, I'm... Uh uh-uh. <laughs> Well, I did my part. So <laughs> just, just you, you knew it was gonna come though for me because I, you know, I was a kid in the early '80s. So hey, labyrinth know, man. No, no. You know, we all have our different endpoints, and I think we'll, we'll. I think we'll discover that as we as we talk uh, here. So, uh, Michael, uh, what? I, I think you you probably um, uh, probably come at this from a little bit. I know you're you've got you're a few years older than I am, uh, and I think maybe a few years older than Jim. So your experience with with Bowie is probably a little different. I mean, I came I didn't really start listening to him until around um, heavily until you know the early '80s myself. So um, you know what was what was your end point? Well, yeah, you're right. My end point um, was a lot earlier. Um, when I was, it was back in the 70s at some point. 
um, the very first, and I was thinking about this all day long on Monday, <clears throat> the very first time I, I, I remember uh, knowing, hearing, or listening to any boy, I was at my cousin's house. Uh, my aunt used to uh, babysit my sister and I after school, after grade school, back in the 70s, 60s and 70s actually. And it was early 70 that we went over there. And I had a cousin who was a couple of years older than I am. And he was a huge Bowie fan uh, from the outset. And I think he played, um, man, I want to say it was maybe Diamond Dogs. Uh, I, I, I've been trying to flip it over in my mind and figure out exactly what album it was. But I remember uh, one of his earlier albums in the 70s he was playing, and there was just all kinds of strange stuff in there. It wasn't music that I had ever heard really before. My parents liked a lot of country, old country and Western, which I like. Not the new country and Western, which is crap as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, but the, the but some of the older Bowie, um, he was probably listening to something like Hunky Dory or, or Ziggy Stardust or something like that. Um, and that was my entry point into Bowie itself. I, I remember there were a couple of songs that really caught my ear as a kid. And then the rest of it was just just a bunch of jibber-jabber. It was like all over the place. Uh, it was symphonic. It was uh, disambiguous. Uh, there was stuff all over the place. It wasn't like, you know, you say Bowie now and everybody grabs for all the hits. This was weird stuff that was going on. Um, so it was, I'm going to say, about the mid-'70s that I actually, actually heard Bowie and never really got into him until uh, Scary Monsters, to be honest with you. Hmm. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> I mean, that's right around the time I started to to uh, take notice myself. Uh, you know, I've got uh, some older brothers and sisters, and, uh, you know, I think that's really kind of where I came in. I'm, I'm sure I heard uh, Space Oddity, you know, in the as a kid in the 70s, um, you know, on the radio and, and, and you know, some and, and Ziggy Stardust maybe a few times, but it didn't really connect with me until, you know, that early 80s, uh, maybe right around Scary Monsters and um, when the Under Pressure single came out, um, you know, that 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 era was when I really started to, to take notice and understand who he was um, and, uh, and really start to... to know get get into his music um so so jim t jumping off on that uh why don't you uh why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience well um i th i think for me it, it just well i don't remember i mean bowie was always around you know as i knew i, I was aware of space oddity I didn't i wasn't aware of the name of the song i was just always was major tom or something uh when i was a kid and then there was changes in Suffragette City, so I was always I was aware of those songs of his, and I think uh, quite a bit like uh, like Michael, uh, I didn't really start getting into him until Scary Monsters came out. Ashes to Ashes, I think, is such a terrific song, hmm. and um, and the video for that. I mean, we can talk about how you know how David Bowie was as an artist. Is my in my art school years is when I really started to kind of appreciate some of his, uh, I suppose, his lesser-known albums. I mean, I've really focused on Low, listened to that a lot through my art school years. And what I like to 
what I liked mainly about him, whether or not I followed him closely through his career as he went forward, but he was always reinventing himself. He was always changing his image a little bit while still being, you know, cool and sophisticated, still having that kind of a edge to him, edge and very intelligent man and all that. But he was, he was willing, he was an artist all the way through, whether it was through his music or through acting or, uh, or just, you know, how he presented himself to the world. He was always just this great, just this artist. And, uh, you, you know, I mean, like the, the old thing you could say, Look up artists, and you'll see a picture of David Bowie because he's 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 in there with the other great artists of, of our time. Whether or not his medium was painting or sculpting or or writing songs. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I I totally agree, and I think um, you know I came at it uh, you know just kind of listening to to his songs on the radio, and I think um, Let's Dance really was where I I got in you know I got into him heavily you know i um but uh you know early on it was for me it was uh you know uh, the that theme from uh, cat people um forgot and, all about that yeah it's a, that's a great <laughs> song um and uh uh you know and under pressure and uh you know and 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 he he always came across uh at that, you know, at that point, he was a little more cleaned up uh, and different. But, you know, looking back and going back, um, I had a friend of mine who was like super into David Bowie. And he was showing me um, he had bought this, you know, import copy of Man Who Sold the World. And uh, if you know anything about Man Who Sold the World, the original album cover has him in a dress. But the U.S. version does not <laughs> have him in a dress because that was too, you know, controversial. And back in 1972, I think that album came out. Um, 70. Yeah, 1970. Uh, for Man Who Sold the World? Yeah, I got the discography right in front of me. Okay. Why was I think it was? Oh, Hunky Dory was 70. Yep, 70. Okay. Ziggy Stardust was 72. 72. Okay. All right. Well, anyway. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> but but you know it, it was just it was like you know it was really kind of hard to to kind of understand i was like well why is this guy wearing a dress you know um you know and looking back at it you, you kind of the impact that he had i mean a lot of people thought he was um you know a bit of a freak or or a weirdo or whatever but what what but in wound the best up way. But, but it, yeah, well, um, you know, but at the time it was it was really kind of a polarizing. Um, but but what was interesting was that his music spoke so well that um, people were able to look beyond what he his fashion was and enjoy the music. And I think that helped bring people into that you know, mindset where they were more accepting, uh, in a, in a way. I mean, it took a long time, uh, obviously, but, you know, I think, um, you know, he was really on the kind of cutting edge of that, um, you know, making people who felt different and outside kind of, you know, he's, he's not only one of us, but he's, um, you know, he's able to kind of, give us something to look up to in a way 
Um, I think it's a know. big part of his legacy too, yeah. because it's like every generation since he started, you know, came in it from a different way, but there's always something, and it's almost like he tried to like not integrate into the new things, but show his spin on it. You know, like when electronic music was big in the in the '90s, um, I remember he did a lot of stuff with Trent Reznor, and you know that, that's the time I used to listen to Nine Inch Nails all the time, and mm. I was like, wow, it was like this chameleon that can do anything. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, and then he did uh, Earthling was kind of uh, that kind of like a drum and bass, you know, uh, uh, Chemical Brothers uh, kind of album. Yeah. Um, you know, Electronica uh, was 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 the next big thing, and and even um, t- you know Tin Machine, uh, which everybody kind of forgets about sometimes, but that came out in 1989. It was like a year before Nirvana hit. And if you listen to it, it's really kind of a precursor in a way. It's very raw kind of garage band sound, you know, um, to that to that album. And it's it definitely I feel uh, is kind of a precursor to the whole grunge movement that came out, you know, in, in the in the years just following that. So, I mean, he was always changing up, you know, what what he was interested in and um, didn't get stuck in a rut, you know, for sure. Well, and thanks to him. I want to I, I touch on this real quickly, if I could, Douglas. Um, sure, sure. Something, something that all of you have said, really. Um, back in the '60s and '70s, there was well, it's it's like it's with any band, it, Nirvana, like you said, Bowie, uh, the Stones, Beatles, anything. When they first start out, you've got you've got a niche of people that really like them, and the band. Whatever band it is can do no wrong. You've got the groupies and the people who really love them and go from there. And that's the way it was with Bowie. Then progressively, and Jim touched on this real quickly, which I completely agree with, the dude always changed it up between his dress, between his style of music, between his tours, uh, what he was uh, proselytizing, you know, the whole shot. Every album had its hits, had one or two hits on there that everybody knew, or a lot of people knew, got a lot of radio airplay. But it really wasn't until um, uh, the early 80s when Let's Dance came out, which was arguably one of his most popular albums, that uh, spawned at least three hits off of that thing that everybody really dug the album. And all of a sudden they realized, hey, you know what? This is that freak Bowie who did Ziggy Stardust and did the uh, Boris Karloff uh, Frankenstein uh, 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 Berlin trilogy uh, with all those images, <laughs> you know, and all, and all that stuff. So all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like a light bulb going on in your head. Wow, the dude can write some pop hits. Uh, and wow, I do remember um, Suffragette City. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember uh, Young Americans. Uh, of course, there's Space Oddity, you know, and all that stuff. So... You know, the guy's got a legacy going on all of them. Mm-hmm. But where he really broke out, obviously, was was with Let's Dance. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think I think that's a big that's the biggest thing. And Jim touched on it. And I, I believe it highly is that he it has always changed it up. And that has influenced my uh, uh, like and love for the man. Uh, that's why I really expect that it's, it's something I've always expected from him, album to album, that he's going to mix it up, do something different every single time. Some of it I liked, a lot of it, a lot of it I liked. Some of it I just 
why did you do that? Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a few. There's a few. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, there are, there's more than a few. I mean, they can't all be gems, obviously. But um, no. overall, yeah. overall uh, name a person who ha- ha- doesn't know Bowie, doesn't like one of his songs, or at least doesn't recognize one of his songs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's true. I, I mean, there, it's really, you'd be hard-pressed to, to find anybody. Um, you know, my, my 12-year-old daughter uh, came home from school on Monday and said, that's all anybody was talking about at school was David Bowie. And, I mean, 12-year-olds. I, 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 I was like, it, it brought a little tear to my eye. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. See? You know, that there were 12-year-olds out there that, that, you know, were at least talking about it, um, you know, and maybe, uh, you know, some of them will, will kind of dig into his music and, and you know, appreciate his legacy, um, you know, going forward. One, one of the things that uh, we touched upon, I, I, you know, I've, I've watched a ton of, interviews and and uh and and videos and so on this week i'm sure we all have um but i i came across one where he talked about his why he changed the characters and why you know ziggy didn't last more than a you know the concept of ziggy didn't last more than a couple of albums and um what was interesting to me was that he felt early on in his career that he just he couldn't um, he was very interested in theater and um, performing, uh, you know, on stage. Um, and so he and he would do different characters and so on. And, and, and what what happened was he wound up integrating that with his music because he was a little shy and, and hated performing as himself in front of an audience. But he found that if he performed as a character, he could, he could do it. So like Peter Sellers. Yeah, kind of like Peter Sellers. So he would create mm-hmm. these characters. That's you know kind of where he came up with uh, Ziggy Stardust. It was like I, you know, I'm gonna create this character and I'm gonna write songs for this character in this character, and and be able to perform them. But you know, his, his idea was you know he didn't want to get stuck. It would have been very easy for him to just get stuck doing you know, uh, Ziggy Stardust-style glam rock, uh, you know, for the rest of his career, but his mm-hmm. career probably would not have lasted nearly as long if, if he had done that. And he recognized early on that he needed to um, to change. And that's why, you know, at the end of the Ziggy Stardust tour, he announced this is the last show we're ever going to do. <laughs> and, you know, he came out with something new on the next album. Um, right. You know, uh, and there were kind of variations. You know, Aladdin Sane and Diamond Dogs um, uh, were kind of variations on the Ziggy theme. Although you know, Diamond Dogs was a little more interesting, and I think we'll talk about that later. Um, but then, you know, like I said, he jumped into Young Americans, where he dropped yeah. all of the the makeup, uh, more or less. Um, started dressing, you know, button-down shirt and and a vest. Um, slicked back his hair a little bit, you know, and, and kind of became the thin white Duke character, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, on station to station and, and, and the young Americans era, um, you know, and then, uh, uh, he started doing movies, you know, he did the man who fell to earth and, uh, um, you know, and, and then launched himself into doing his, you know, Berlin trilogy of albums. Is that um, when he did the hunger? 
Uh, the Hunger was a little later. That was in the that um, was like 1983, I think. That movie came out right around the right around the time Let's Dance came out. Okay. So. Because um, thanks to Bowie, I'll agree with you there, Doug. <laughs> Doug, I'll I'll agree with you there. He did he did all those incarnations, and um, he was trying to figure out how to get comfortable on stage, and all these personas were what gave him the ability to actually come out and perform. Uh, and again, I agree with you. Right around Diamond Dogs where it is where he got rid of all the pretense, was able just to dress normally, um, suavely, uh, uh, in a suit and tie, and just perform as himself as opposed to Ziggy or... You know any any of the any of the personas that he had, had, had developed previously. So, uh, savvy guy. He was savvy even back then. Um, trying to work it out and then uh, went from there. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. You know, and and I think you know his music took a real shift um, right around uh, right around the time that he moved to Berlin. Uh, partly because. He uh, he recognized too that he was too far too deep into uh, into cocaine and, and drugs. Um, I mean, he was really. Uh, if you look at pic- pictures of him at that point, he got very very thin. <laughs> um, there were a know. lot of people that were worried about him at that time. Yeah, yeah, and he was only you know twenty six or twenty seven at that time. Um, right. There are reports where he was doing nothing but eating chilies and milk, um, oh, man. Uh, just a freaky stuff like that. So you know, yeah, and and he he was uh, fortunate enough that he was able to recognize in himself that hey, I've got to stop this, mm-hmm. and um, and so he decided he needed to change a place. And uh, I was, you know, watching this interview with him. He's like, I just moved. I I left and I moved to Germany. And I left everything behind except for, you know, a handful of, you know, close people who who cared about me. And he just, you know, left everything behind and, and started over. Um, and that's where this great period for me, um, you know, from, from my opinion, uh, his probably his greatest period of, of experimenting and, and invention uh, came um, with the with Low Lodger and, and Heroes at, at the end of the 70s. Um, you know, there's so much going on on those three albums, um, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, and you can tell it's it's somebody that's, again, trying to find himself, um, you know, in, in a world where he, he kind of felt a, as an outsider, um, you know, moving to a strange, you know, to a country where he didn't know the language or the customs. Um, although Germany's not that far afield, but the language is certainly, <laughs> sure. you know, different. Um, but I, in the interview I saw, he talked about how, you know, he was kind of unrecognized in Germany and he was able to, you know, walk down to the store and get a paper or, um, you know, um, go get his dry cleaning done and not have to worry about people, you know, uh, accosting him on the street mm-hmm. for autographs or any of that. Um, and just being a normal person and learning how to how to do that, you know, how to get a taxi. Uh, you know, he talked about that. And, and, and just because, you know, he he basically, you know, once he started getting into the, you know, 
into the stardom, I mean, he never had to do any of that stuff for himself. Um, so just learning how to do those things for himself uh, was was something that, you know, he felt like uh, was kind of empowering, um, you know, so uh, that that to me is his most fertile, fertile period. Um, but I guess that brings up, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to steer this a little bit because um, otherwise we'll ramble on forever. Or I'll ramble on forever and you guys will listen to me and... <laughs> And that'll be and that'll be that. But uh, I think before before the show, we thought uh, it would be um, kind of a nice nice thing to kind of uh, maybe go over what our favorite albums are and and uh, maybe pick out a few of our favorite songs, um, you know, and and maybe uh, try to come up with um, you know a, a hidden gem. Uh, he's got such a rich catalog. Um, it's very easy for uh, people who aren't the Uber fan. Uh, you know, it's very easy to maybe miss miss something that's that's good. I, I found, you know, as I was getting into David Bowie, that there were I was constantly running across things that I'd never heard, and you know, was fascinated by. Um, for example, I remember um, going to see, I, the first time I saw him in concert was in 1987 on the, uh, Glass Spider tour, um, which was the tour for, um, uh, Never Let Me Down, um, <laughs> which mm-hmm. ironically was one of the few times I think he did, um, in his career, uh, but, um, let you down? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll try not to stay negative on a memorial show, but it, it was probably one of his worst albums. Um, mm. But uh, anyway, um, it was a great show, but I remember there were three or four songs. I was like, I, I've never heard that song before. I have no idea what that song is. Um, and just kind of having to kind of search back through um, the catalog to try and discover. And back in those days, of course, there was no iTunes or any of that. You kind of had to, you know, actually go buy the vinyl. <laughs> so, um, so it was kind of an interesting thing. But uh, well, my my iTunes was on Bowie all week long. Uh, what's great about the iTunes, as far as David Bowie was concerned, is they've got lots of his entire album of albums available to listen to. So, I mean, from Monday right through Friday, I listened to nothing but Bowie until some point on Friday. I had to listen to some Who. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I can't go through the whole week without listening to any. But, um, it, you know, so I was listening to stuff that albums, uh, I listened to the Berlin Trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Low very well. I didn't know the other two albums as well. And it's it's interesting when, you know, um, it was uh, Heroes, the, the opening track, Beauty and the Beast. Mm. And I listened to that and I thought, wow, I hear Iggy Pop. Now, I wonder, am I, when I, is, is it when I listen to Iggy Pop stuff from that time period, am I hearing David Bowie? Or when I'm listening to this David, you know, David Bowie, am I hearing Iggy Pop? Is it that, is it the interconnection between the two of them? Because, you know, they work together. And, yes. And, and, and Bowie worked with a lot of artists. Uh, without being in control of their complete album, you know, like Lou Reed, Transformer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hear Bowie singing in the backing vocals on Satellite of Love. But, uh, you know, it, I just, I was struck when I heard that song. I said, I didn't really know it that well. I listened to it and I went, man, this sounds like Iggy Pop. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, Bowie um, 
produced a, a, a bunch of Iggy Pop's albums in that time period. Um, uh, the Idiot, um, and, which I think came out in 1977, and uh, at least one other. I think he produced at least two Iggy albums in the 70s around that time. It was mm-hmm. a very, like I said, it was a very uh, fertile, you know, rich time period for him because he was just, you know, trying to clean himself up off the drugs and, um, you know, he kept himself busy with activity, um, you know, and... and and uh, yeah, the whole Iggy Pop, uh, David Bowie connection is is very uh, kind of long and and, uh, and and I wouldn't say it's complicated, but it's um, you know Iggy Pop had been, if I recall, it had been uh, institutionalized for a little bit, and um, I recall hearing that uh, David was the only person that uh, w- that visited him in the hospital and oh, he wow. and he uh you know of his i'm sure his family did but um you know the only one of his you know professional uh, <laughs> friends mm. that did and he vowed that you know when he got out he was going to help him and he produced you know and, and those are fantastic uh iggy pop albums uh you know by the way you know lust for life comes from that period um, you know, any, any big Iggy Pop song that you can think of came from China. The original China Girl um, mm-hmm. is, it was from uh, from one of those albums. Um, yeah, but I got to say, I prefer Bowie's version much better. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yes, uh, yes. There, I mean, it, it's kind of there, but they're different. I mean, both versions yeah. are different, they and, are and both have different. their have their own strengths. So. Um, have you guys ever seen? I have to. I hate to interrupt, but this is like really cool because no, no. This reminds me. There's this cartoon that comes on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. It's one of my favorites. It's called Venture Brothers. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the character they were gonna get David Bowie to play the leader of this this evil guild, like the Guild of Calamitous Intent. But it is him. <laughs> and you mentioned Iggy Pop because he has two guys in the guild with him, and one of them is Iggy Pop. They don't call him that. And the other one's Klaus Nomi. <laughs> oh, right. And yes, somebody posted diamond dogs. <laughs> somebody, somebody posted that uh, picture uh, online on my newsfeed this week, and I saw that. And I had never, I've heard of the Venture Brothers, and I've seen maybe two or three episodes, and it seems like a kind of a cool show, but I never really gave it a lot of time. But I think I might have to. Oh, it's uh, any fan of like '60s comics and. Doctor Strange is on it. Well, it looks not, it, <laughs> it, it looks like it's a bit of a Johnny Quest uh, satire as well. Right. Oh, yeah, doesn't doesn't Ray Spannon show up in that series? He does. See? So. Yeah, a little bit. It, 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 it's strange stuff. It's it's right up your alley, Douglas. You like it? All right. Well, then I'm I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna seek it out. Is is it on Netflix? Probably not. But I think it, it might be. He's there on Netflix or on youngstudadultswim.com. Oh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll have to go check it out. I'll have to check that out. That's that's been that's one wild, of those. I didn't know he was such a big like friend with Iggy Pop. I didn't know that. No, they were. Yeah, they were very big. He was a huge David uh, Bowie was a huge Stooges fan. Um, oh. And uh, you just you know loved the Stooges and and loved the and loved all that and then you know he had this opportunity to work with him you know uh, later on he became you know became friends with him and uh, you know uh, that... yeah there's huge influence there uh, hint hint it might have something to do with Michael's favorite album <laughs> ah, segue. <laughs> 
Well, it, and and it might also have something to do with Devo, but that's a whole that's a whole other conversation. Too. I really <laughs> like the Devo a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I heard that. <laughs> so, uh, all right, Michael, since since you're chomping at the bit here, why don't why don't you jump in and, and why don't you start us off? What is your favorite David Bowie album? Oh, I'm not chomping at the bit, but however, I do have a request. Okay, what's your because it, it it could very well influence the rest of this conversation with regard to favorite albums. So I'm going to defer if you don't mind, Douglas. Okay, and I would like to go last. Okay, is that because uh, if somebody else chooses your favorite album, you can change your mind? <laughs> no, that's right. because right. I don't want to piss. That's because I don't want to piss off the host. How about that? <laughs> what? 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 Are you going to pick Never Let Me Down? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going last. Okay. Right, you know what? For you, Michael, I will grant your request because I am a benevolent overlord. You, you are a gentleman and a scholar, Mr. Arthur. Well, I've been, call, I've been called worse. All right. Uh, so You're both humble and lovable. All right. So uh, on, on that front, I'm gonna, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to give the baton over to our our uh, our youngest member of the panel, uh, Mr. Mr. Curtis. Okay. Uh, how about you? I I, okay. I, th- I think that'll be interesting because um, you know, like we said, you 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 kind of came into it later than than the right. rest of us. So I don't have a favorite album because you know I didn't really listen to all of his stuff on album except for Ziggy Stardust. But my favorite song is Golden Years. reason for that <laughs> but is it is it because of the stephen king uh yes okay. first time i ever heard it was on that show <laughs> as i told a colleague once i said you know how a lot of people in english departments like stay away from television i watched all the television so i just was a sponge for tv and movies and i just i love that song and i love the tv show too but you know and i'm, and I'm always fine with that you know like you know i got into him you know with labyrinth and everything i like the song from labyrinth the I can't think of the name of it. Underground? Yeah. Magic yes. Dance? Yeah, no, the Magic Dance is just fun, but Underground is awesome because he does like that Isher walk on the steps and everything. Remember? I, I, vaguely. I, you know, I saw Labyrinth once, and it was a midnight show the day it opened because I was such a huge Bowie fan, and I was like, I'm going to go see this movie. And uh, I, I don't necessarily think I was in the target audience for that, I understand. For that movie and I did not really like the movie all that much. Honestly. And you were disturbed by the cod piece. <laughs> that was pure, that's pure uh, Lucasfilm magic right the there. The only thing I remember from that movie is that he had like these glass balls that he kept kind of twirling oh, yeah, in, yeah. His, in his fingers. That I, didn't, owl. I didn't see that movie until I think last year or the year before. And oh, yeah. finally saw it. And my wife to. said, "Well, you might like it." So we watched it, and I thought, well, "Okay." 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I may revisit it at some point, but uh, yeah, I have a, qu- I have a quick crystal. Question. Go ahead. Okay. I, I have a quick question because you know what? There's so much Bowie trivia out there that it's insane, and I know a lot of it, but I don't know this. What's the Diamond Dog Stephen King uh, uh, connection? Ooh. Are you the Young Americans Stephen King connection? I thought. Or oh, the, Young Americans? Or, I thought, no, no, I thought no. Brian said the Diamond Dogs. I'm sorry. Not Diamond oh, no, Dogs. No, Golden Years. Golden Years. I'm sorry. No, mm-hmm. he wrote a, I don't know if it was a short story first, uh, but they did a little TV miniseries that was on, gosh, was that early 90s maybe, Brian? Early 90s on CBS. On CBS. And it ran maybe, I don't know, like 10 episodes or something. Um, and I don't remember much about the plot. I, I think I watched like half an episode. I didn't really get into it. But but I it caught my attention because they used the song Golden Years as the theme for the show. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Yeah. Well, see, I find it odd that he did that movie The Hunger, and I remember he didn't do a song from it. Bauhaus did the song from it. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> Bela Lugosi's dead. That's right. That's right. And I was being a Universal Monsters fan and, and, and you know, f- fan of, of vampires and werewolves. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, everything about this is good. Well, you know, Bauhaus was heavily influenced by by Bowie. Yes. Uh, they've, they've done a cover of his, uh, you know, the Ziggy Stardust song. Oh, yeah, that's uh, what they did. Yeah. So, they, I mean, they, you know, it's kind of a connection right there. Because I mean, think Peter Murphy was certainly a big fan of, of David Bowie. Yeah, yeah. He put out a he put out a, a, a statement on Monday too that um, was Brian, Brian Eno did also. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They worked together quite a bit. Um, you know, then and that was one thing that um, um, he always did was he always surrounded himself with extremely talented people, um, and and in order to facilitate change he he changed his band all the time um you know early on um you know you had mick ronson and and uh you know woody woodmansey and um and uh gosh rick wakeman actually even played piano on on a couple of tracks early on um but then you know you moved on uh he, he had some he had some other you know great players along the way um uh, that that wound up going on to have careers themselves. Uh, most people don't realize Luther Vandross was a background singer on uh, on the um, uh, Young Americans album. David Sanborn played saxophone on Young Americans. Um, you know, uh, which seems unusual because Bowie was a saxophone player. Did he just? Go yeah. for well, Sanborn you know, because maybe Sam, he thought Sanborn was better. Uh, qu- quite possibly. I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how good a saxophone player Bowie was, but I know he played it. He so. was very good. He's uh, his saxophone playing is featured on quite a few tracks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, over over yeah, the years, he did a lot, a lot of it on um, um, on his Let's Dance uh, tour too. Yeah, I know that. Yep. Hmm. Um, and I know he pl- he played uh, saxophone on several songs on the uh, Black Tie White Noise album as well, um, which um, which I thought was kind of an underrated, underappreciated album of, of his. Um, he also plays saxophone on my favorite album. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm trying to work the segue just like oh, my oh okay oh. all right <laughs> all right all right Jim what's what's your favorite album well I, I kind of we, we were joking with each other for a while there because I kept vacillating over what would be my favorite album but really I, I can't pick any other it's low 1977 um, this dad album followed me through my art school years yeah it's just there's just it's 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 got the electronica stuff going on in it it's the, the experimenting with synthesizer synthesizers which was fairly still early in it uh you got a song like uh, sound and vision which you know i think is kind of synth pop even before there was synth pop um it's i yeah, and then the the second half of the album is very mostly instrumental tracks very atmospheric and moody and, and uh almost cinematic uh, which is makes sense because his, this album was supposed to be well, it was Bowie's intention to have it be the soundtrack for his movie The Man Who Fell to Earth, but the director just didn't think it fit, so he expanded on it and released it as an album. I just, I just dig this album. I just listen to it all the way through. Every time I listen to it, it's just, what more can I say? It's awesome. <laughs> well, well, you get no <laughs> argument from me whatsoever. Um, one of my top albums uh from his output as well and it and it's weird uh but it's one of the few that i came to late um i didn't listen to that album you know until i was well into my college years and mm-hmm. um is and it was only because because i came into bowie from the more pop side you know let's mm-hmm. dance and and some of his early 80s output was where i kind of started so i was really into the more pop David Bowie, you know, and I got into Hunky Dory, which, which again is a little more pop. It's more a little more folk. Um, and it wasn't until I started making connections because I was a big liner notes guy, um, you know, and I was, you know, would read the liner notes and I, I got into Talking Heads a lot. Mm-hmm. And of course, Talking Heads, you know, who produced, um, you know, their their second, third, and fourth albums, you know, Brian Eno. Um, you know, and who played on those albums? You know, Robert Fripp played guitar on Fear of Music, and Adrian Ballou played guitar on Remain in Light. And so you start looking, going, oh, hey, they played on these Bowie albums, too. Um, yep. And I haven't listened to them because I've always heard they were kind of weird. Um, but I'm going to go listen to them now because I kind of like this other stuff that these guys did. And you kind of, you know, it kind of works your way. And, and, and you listen to it and it just clicks. And now, you know, oddly enough, you know, Let's Dance is one of the Bowie albums I listen to the least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, because, you know, I was just more attracted to this kind of, um, you know, experimentation that he did there. And uh, just... You know, really amazing stuff. Um, you know, That's so, cool, though, that you get into it with the pop stuff. And, I mean, and I got it, too, you know, a movie with puppets. But then, you <laughs> mm-hmm. know, you use that, and just, it's like it's like a virus, and then it spreads, and then you go into everything, and it's good. It, it's kind of like him and his career, you know? It's just, he goes everywhere. No, I, see, I, see, and I don't know... I, I'm, I, you know, I can't remember chron- chronologically what came first for me. Was it low or, you know whether I discovered low before let's dance came out but i can remember when let's dance came out not being as impressed with it um i like the song modern love and i like let's dance and china girl i like the, you know the hits off of it 
But I just, I, you know, when I listened to the album, at whatever point I listened to it, I just, overall, it didn't speak to me. I, I wonder if I was set up, I must have heard Lowell first, and I must have been set up by that. So, oh, I like this stuff better. That's too poppy or something. Maybe I was in my, you know, if it's if it's too poppy, I don't like it. It's stage, <laughs> my art, my musical snobbery back in, when I was in art school. But uh, it, it just, yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I it, this week long listening to the albums I spent listening to the, the earlier stuff and the Berlin trilogy I hadn't gotten to um, uh, to modern love you know to listen to that uh, to let's dance again I hadn't gotten there yet and I listened to Black Star and I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> well, yeah, there, there's a lot to digest I think on, on the mm-hmm. new album, um, definitely, and and I think it. it because of his passing, it, it certainly takes on a brand new context, a lot of it. Mm. Um, I think if you go back and look, I actually kind of tweet, uh, posted a little mini review last Friday of Black Star because I had listened to it, you know, two or three times while I was at work, um, you know, streaming it. And, mm. um, you know, I posted a little mini review there and, uh, you know, saying that it was definitely not for hardcore or not for the casual Bowie fan. It was... Um, you know, right? I mean, yeah, it's it's very it's very dense. Yeah, I think, and it, it's and it, it it goes where it wants to go. It doesn't follow a pop structure. No, not at mm. all. Uh, yeah. Although uh, the occasional pop elements show mm. up, uh, you know, yeah. um, you know, like, like the uh, um, there's a few there's a few parts in the title song in Black Star where he kind of breaks into a more melodic um, mm-hmm. you know, thing uh, as opposed to early on he's kind of doing this kind of weird almost uh, falsetto operatic kind of uh, chanting uh, it, mm-hmm. it, um, you know so it's, it's, it's definitely a melding of, of styles yeah uh, you know so so who's next <laughs> I guess it's me because because uh, because uh, <laughs> I'm tongue-tied. I, because Michael's Michael, a pain in the ass. It's you, Douglas. Because Michael's a pain in the ass. Well, I, I, you know, Lowe probably, probably is also my favorite, but uh, in, in, in interest of uh, spreading the, the joy, um, I, I'm going to pick probably my second favorite. Um, and it's one of his more overlooked albums, I feel, um, and that's Lodger. Um, I hey, hold, 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 hold on. You're picking your second favorite album, not your favorite album. <laughs> I just said that Low was my favorite album, but Jim already picked it, so I'm picking my second favorite album so that we can so have a little a diversity. The whole thing? We can't have the same person like the same album? We, really? We can. We didn't can, have an album, so but I'm did, but I'm trying I, I'm I'm trying to spread a little light on on maybe another album people haven't tried yet. All right, all right. <laughs> hey, I'm the host here. I get yeah, to it's your show. Yeah, okay. yeah. I yeah. Don't listen to him. He can start his own show and do his own thing. That's right. I'm going to just cut you right out of the show, there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> should have done that years ago. Yeah, I should have. I should have. But uh, yeah, so I for me the the album I I go back to. Most frequently, uh, aside from Low, is probably Lodger, um, and I, I feel like it's a very, um, it's a very interesting album. It, it kind of builds on some of the things that were, um, 
created in uh, you know low and heroes, uh, but it expands on them in a lot of different ways, um, and um, and it's actually a bit of a, a precursor to um, you know a lot of the other things that were going on at that time because uh, that see that came out in 1979 and. Um, there was a lot of cross-pollination going on. I mean, if you think about what was going on at the time, you, you know, Brian Eno worked on that album as well. Adrian Ballou worked on that album. And Brian Eno was also producing Talking Heads albums at that time. Um, you know, Fear of Music came out in 1979 also. And you listen to Lodger, you listen to Fear of Music, um, you listen to Remain in Light, which came out the following year. There's a lot of similarities. Um, um, yeah, Remain in Light, yeah. Um, and so it's, um, you kind of see that there. he was right at the epicenter of um, working on uh, that material. And actually there's a song on, um, uh, on Lodger, Red, Red Money, which is actually uh, got the same music as Sister Midnight from the Iggy Pop album that came out um, hmm. that year. They, he used the same music but wrote new lyrics. Um, so he was doing a lot of different, a uh, lot of different uh, things with that album, and and probably, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's definitely you listen to it, you can hear Eno, you can hear Bowie, you can hear Adrian Ballou. Um, and you know he was just at the beginning of his career at that point too, and 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 it was just kind of this epicenter album where things kind of exploded because the following year Eno really he had already kind of made a career for himself, but after Remain in Light came out in 1980, you know his producing career definitely took off. Yeah. Um, you know he started doing U2 and and all the, all that other all that other stuff, uh, but you know. It, to me, Lodger was kind of like, you know, this is the end of the '70s, and you know, here's where here's where we're going after this, um, you know. And Scary Monsters was, you know, the, the album that came out after Lodger, and mm -hmm. you listen to the those two back to back, and they're stylistically very different. Um, you know, I think um, Scary Monsters is much more. Uh, polished, but also in many ways more aggressive. Robert Fripp returns on that album as well. He had worked on the Heroes album, um, uh, you know, uh, including uh, that very memorable uh, guitar riff for for Heroes itself. That kind of droning guitar sound that st starts out the, the song Heroes. He that that was uh, Robert Fripp's contribution to that. But he's all over Scary Monsters. Um, you know, all of that, all of that heavy, you know, uh, guitar uh, it is all him on that album. It's just, just some great stuff. But Lodger, I, I just, I just feel like it's uh, there's just something about it I really like. It's, it's just a such a, a vortex of different influences, um, and uh, and I really like it. So, so there. <laughs> <laughs> And you can. That's and a good I can. Second. And uh, I mean, what you know, the big hits off of that, so so to speak. I mean, "Boys Keep Swinging" is off of that album. Uh, DJ uh, is another another song off of that album. 
Um, you know, those are the ones that most people have heard of, but there's a lot of great songs that are kind of deep cuts uh, from that from that album. Uh, so, uh, those hits, those were his uh, disco hits. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and right around that time, too, I think he put out the single, John, I'm Only Dancing, um, which was another kind of a disco hit um, as well. So, um, so that's my second favorite album um <laughs> so so michael um what is what is your favorite album well real quickly a couple things real quick uh brian what was your favorite album again diamond dog i, I didn't have an album actually i was just i, I really liked underground and golden years as songs i i, 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 I don't have the knowledge to pick a full album gotcha. so, okay. remember it, i'm uh, Movies. You're probably more of like a greatest hits. That would be your your change, fa- change boy. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, and by the way, I'll, I'll, every time I think about greatest hits album, there's this there's this kids in the hall sketch. This guy goes to a record store, and he's like, "You got the new Pixies album?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, but it sucks," and all this other stuff. And he's like, "What about trying to get into the doors?" And he's like, "No, you just can't get into the doors." He's like, "Well, I'll try the greatest hits." And he's like. Greatest hits albums are for Housewives and Mama's Boy. <laughs> 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 that was like, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I have Ziggy Stardust though. I like I like that one a lot, and I know that's what everybody says. But you know, it's, it's like everybody's al- a Led Zeppelin fan when it's Stairway to Heaven. It, it's a great it's a great album. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great one. I, I think I'm gonna get low now after everybody. It's given the big endorsement for it. it so. It's it's a it's a really I think you'll really like it, Brian. It it is experimental, like uh, like Jim said. There's uh, only half the album has lyrics. <laughs> the rest oh, wow. of the songs are instrumental. Uh, well, the, even the instrumental tracks, there's a sparse amount of vocals going on in it, but it's more for it's it's not so much to have lyrics as it is to uh, add atmosphere to the song. It's not. It, whatever he says doesn't seem to matter. I think oh, even rolling. some he's, he, I think even some he's singing a like Latin or a foreign language or something. Yeah, was this when he came out with that video where he's got like he's like the clown? No, that's that's, that's 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 Ashes. Uh, ashes, ashes. ashes. Yeah, oh, okay. it's off uh, Scary Monsters. Yeah, that's wow. a few years that would, later. Yeah, but uh, the, but yeah, I think you'll really like Low. I think. Yeah, I want to try Low. It sounds really good. It's, it, it is good. <laughs> But, but but I won't get the I won't get the greatest hits. There you go. Stereo. We're all, look, we're well, all looking at you now, Michael. Th- we're all looking at you. All right. Well, well, first of all, um, first Brian, don't don't cut yourself off at the knees. Get the greatest hits. Okay. I could have got it. Thing, but well, you, everybody's got to like the greatest hit, greatest hits. But exactly. where Bowie's real, where Bowie's real genius is, is getting into the deeper cuts, more obscure stuff, the instrumental tracks. Uh, looking over his career and finding out um, album to album where he goes and the whole shot and that kind of leads up to where, what my favorite album is so gentlemen uh, scoot your chairs up sit up straight get your paper and pencils out because there's a little quiz going on here ready <laughs> okay <laughs> okay after um, all this it better I told there'd be no math <laughs> yeah well after I'm this sorry, it better be good there won't be any math because i've already done the math for you but there is going to be a little quiz here now going to stick a pin in it right there right at that critical moment where we're just about to find out what michael's favorite album uh from david bowie is uh what will it be what will he choose uh 
I'm I'm not even sure I I even understand it even now after knowing but you will find out on our next episode which will be coming soon thank you for listening to part one of our uh, David Bowie Memorial Roundtable discussion uh, if you enjoy the show you can help support the show uh, by purchasing copies of my new book collections of uh, Tales from the Dugside comic strips uh, it's my long running uh, comic strip uh, the books are available worldwide on Amazon.com, um, or uh, U.S. residents can uh, look me up on uh, Square Marketplace and order directly from me, uh, and, and and order autographed copies of uh, the books that way. Um, I've got four new ones out right now: uh, Slackjaw, Disparity of Gravy, uh, Tainted Circus, and Bad Mustard, which are. Um, deluxe 20th anniversary reissues of uh, my original books Um, and those are available now as I said Um, and uh, also still available is my giant 392 page compendium anti-social lawnmower uh, which is also out there Um, and yeah I do I I dabble in some music too so uh, you might stumble across uh, some CDs by a band called Flaming Schwarzkopf Experience uh, which is also available um, at this time as well also from Amazon Uh, but you can also stream it um, uh, or download it from any major digital retailer iTunes, Apple Music uh, Deezer Spotify, Tidal uh pretty much you name it they're they're on youtube as well um so go check those out and um we will uh um, really appreciate uh, you uh, supporting the show in that way um also all episodes of previous episodes of assault of the two-headed space mules are available on wordpress.com slash space mules uh with the most uh, recent five or six episodes available on itunes Uh, It's due to space issues uh, right at the moment. I'm working on uh, getting a new setup uh, for the the show. But for now, uh, you can subscribe on iTunes and get the most recent ones. And then if you really feel like it, you can go back and uh, go to wordpress.com slash space mules. And uh, there's links there to all the old episodes. Um, So you can check those out there. And, uh, you know, thanks for listening. Uh, Hope you enjoy the show. Hope you come back for part two. See you soon. But whatever lies behind the door There is nothing much to do Angel or devil, I don't Far in front of that door There is you My death waits like A beggar blind Who sees the world Through an unlit mind Throw him a dime for the passing time. My death waits to allow my friends a few good.
good times before it ends. Ah, let's not think about the passing time. My self-waste there between your thighs, your Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules is copyright 2015 by Douglas Arthur for Dugside Syndicate. You can contact the show by sending email to spacemules at yahoo.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at Space Mules and head over to Facebook for the official Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules fan page for all the latest news, updates, and photos. Don't forget to check out cafepress.com slash space mules for assault of the two-headed space mules swag. T-shirts, hats, coffee mugs, you name it, we have all the highest quality merchandise you can shake a Zuni doll at. Thanks for listening. I do appreciate it. Don't forget to tune in next time when you'll hear my brother say... Look at that. I, I've got th- three out of the four people that wrote uh, forewords to my books. Some dogs and the passing time My death waits there Among the flowers Where the blackest shadow cowers So let's pick lilacs for the passing time My death waits there In a double bed The sails of oblivion At my head Let's not think about There is nothing much to do Angel or devil I don't care For in front of that door There